This is So What Does Judaism Say About? Welcome back to the fascinating discussions about, well, anything. I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me, as always, is the animal-loving Rabbi Mayor Beer. And today, we're going to be asking, what does Judaism say about dogs? Rabbi Beer, how are you doing? You can't even get the topic out. It's very funny. It is. <laughs> Judaism says something about everything. I had three dogs growing up in succession. I want to be very clear. So it was my parents got a dog in 1979. And then you're that old. Well, it was a, it was a, it was a preface to see if they could have children. That was their test. Their test monkey was a dog named Brandy who died at age 16. So she had a bark mitzvah at age 13. The whole thing. 16 years old dies old dog. And then we got this dog Shana. And then she, <laughs> it's a funny name for a dog. And whatever, and then she died. Now we're on dog number three right now. Back to you. <laughs> right. May he or she live and be well. Right, exactly. Okay, there is a song, poem, if you will, called Parakshira. Parakshira was, is a Mishnaic era text. It's found in Medrash. It's quoted in, in different places, which describes different songs that each animal sings to Hashem, to God. Yeah. So it's a very... Interesting concept. Animals, animals singing songs to God. Correct. Animals, of course, don't have free will. They don't sing. So what's go- they don't sing. They don't. So what's go? Well, some sing. In a sense, yeah. Parrots can talk a little. Right. But you know, one of the one of the basic fundamental ideas in Judaism is that human beings have free will. Animals don't. And we're ascribing certain specific prayers or praises to animals based on those animals' characteristics. Right. That species characteristics. So that's an interesting idea. And as we'll see, and we'll focus on dogs because Everybody man's best dogs. friend. Man. <laughs> that's right. Forgot about that. There is a lot of literature about specific ideas, you know, the way we view different animals. And why would we view different animals differently if animals are, you know, inherently all products of their, you know, whatever whatever is their 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 like hardwired, right, natural, you know, kind of uh, nature right exactly the way that sort of humankind in the scientific way of using animals i mean i would say torah is, v- is very similar meaning there is a like you said hardwired they are basically robots that have instincts they do what they're supposed to do when 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 roy's lion from Siegfried and roy attacked roy i was not surprised it is a lion it attacks people these people that go walking in the woods and they're like, oh, but I'm one with the bears. They're like, the bears are going to eat you. It doesn't matter how you feel about them. They're programmed to do certain things. And they're not evil for doing those things. Correct. So they have no free will. And the question you're asking is a great question, right? If that's true, why are we differentiating between different levels of different types of animals given that they are all programmed with no free will? They are completely physical. They don't have souls. There's no animal afterlife. Okay, we'll have to talk about that another time. They just die and that's it. And they live in this world of sort of robotics where they do exactly what they're meant to do. Right. So there is a small counterpoint to this, which is that Nachmanides describes animals as having a nefesh. They have some sort of life. They, they, animals do care for their young. You hurt an animal if, uh, if you were to torture its children in front of it. And we're supposed to be sensitive to that. You know, there's a, the Talmud says it's Sarba Lechaim Daraisa that is biblically prohibited to cause unnecessary pain to animals. So they they do live. They're you know they do they do have animals can can even develop 
particularly dogs, as we'll, as we'll discuss, can develop a certain sense of gratitude towards their right. owners and masters. And the, or, uh, or their parents, as right. is now the, <laughs> parents. the common term. Especially when you buy them a sweater and a dog carriage to push them around Central yeah. Park. In. Uh, then slippers. You know those little booties for the dogs? Well, you know, I'm not sure they need those, but maybe. I, I it is dirty. Dogs are used to walking in the grass. Whatever. Yeah, so just as a start, the Uriach uh, of Emden has an introduction to this Parakshira, this Mishnaic era text, and he says that we as human beings view different characteristics, different instincts of animals, and we can learn lessons from that. The Talmud Tractate Erevin describes learning modesty from a cat, loyalty from certain animals. So even that, though that might be the nature of an animal, we as human beings can perceive certain things, and that, so to speak, like the spirit of the animal, sings this praise to God. It doesn't mean the animals, the individual living animals do that, but but the kind of the the overriding spirit of, of cats having this certain sense of modesty, they bury their waist, that is something that we can learn from. We can have this like sense of dignity. We can pick up from cats and that that existing force, that element, is so to speak the the force that sings this praise to God. It isn't that the cats actually are, you know, when they're meowing are are, are giving a praise to God. It's it's the fact that they are utilizing their unique strength, their unique personality trait, if you will, of all that's across all cats. That is what their song is because that that's what they're designed to sort of show the world. Right, and and that has an impact. It could have an impact on the world if we were sensitive enough to look at it right. instead of just pointing, laughing, and watching YouTube videos about it. Yeah, the grumpy cat. Right, and the the, the Tama describes the industrialness of the ants. Right, they exactly they and we should be the, able the to lack see, of laziness. See from that to how to behave if we were sensitive again. It's interesting we don't look at the negative attributes of the animals. Well, so there's an interesting source, not in the Talmud. Um, this is a, a shach, quoting Kabbalistic sources, at the end of chapter 198 in Yerodea, which describes a a, uh, a woman who, who, after going to the mikvah, after purifying herself, should be careful about who she encounters first. And a horse, the shach quotes the source, is a noble animal. And that would be like positive for her to encounter first. first. Other animals, less so. So... Are horses instinctively better than other animals? Not necessarily, but there is somehow, you know, from our perspective, the way we view it, that can be impactful to us. Interesting. Again, if we're sensitive to it. Yeah. So, you know, this is, uh, you know, if you want to, you want to encounter, uh, right, if you've gone through this process, uh, you know, like a, a righteous person rather than a wicked person. So, although animals aren't righteous, righteous or, or, right. or exactly, but we, we can see certain characteristics that in a sense can affect us. You know, it, it is hard for, I think, especially today for human beings, particularly, particularly Jews in the West to understand that really the animal kingdom is here for us to learn from and utilize. Meaning that I think that is a concept that is very challenging for where, where, where things, I mean, I was just in Los Angeles and the billboards out there, you know, describing the, let's call it, what they call human rights to animals, it gets very complicated. But I think this is sort of refreshing and saying like, no, we have respect for animals. We have a certain way we look at animals and we have to learn and grow from them. We can't harm them unnecessarily. And I think that's a sensitivity that this song that we're talking about now might be able to bring to light our, our let's say, it's sensitive approach. Yes. So we can both use them because we feel that that is a human right, but at the same time, not abuse them. Right, not exploit them. Exactly. Um, but moving on to dogs, there is a specific language that the Torah writes that if you have an animal that's unslaughtered, which is what which is called a nevela, lakelav uh, tashlichon. So you you throw it to the dog, and this is something specific to dogs. And Rashi, on his commentary on uh, on the Talmud, 
says that because, as the verse in Exodus says, that when the Jews were leaving Exodus and there was the plague of the firstborn, the dogs did not bark. As a reward for that, we give them the, 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 the carcasses of animals that we're not going to eat. Like we, we take note of the, this event that the dogs you know, didn't make a, and we'll see what the significance of the event is, didn't bark, didn't make a big scene during the plague of the firstborn, and we like reward them with this gift of the firstborn. Now it's interesting because they didn't bark when we were leaving Egypt, but they don't have free will, so clearly God put into them not to bark, and then God tells us and reward them for that. So clearly it's focused on us and how we relate to them. Again, a sensitivity. It's beautiful to think about that. It's not, you're, not, you're clearly not rewarding the dog. And certainly what does the dog today have to do with the dog 3,333 years ago? Exactly. But, you know, but when you make this full circle of, of kind of we're reinforcing the message in ourselves, yeah. we, you know, we get this idea. That's beautiful. But this idea actually goes a little further than this, this simple line that I quoted from the Talmud in, in Tractate Psachim on page 22. The Talmud in Masecha Shabbos on page 155b has an indication that although one is not necessarily supposed to feed wild animals on Shabbos, be busy with their needs, there is a specific idea that if you find a dog which is hungry, and the Talmud describes dogs as, as you know having a harder time finding their food than some other species of animals, um, that one can feed dogs even when one doesn't own them on Shabbos. Really? Yes. And in the Shulchan Aruch, I'm quoting my chapters in case you know you want to check this stuff up. Uh, in our Chaim on chapter uh, 324, the Magna Avram writes that this is specific to dogs, once again, because they did not bark in Egypt. So some understand this as kind of a general idea of if you f- if you see an animal that um, you know that's the starving that has you know that needs your assistance that you know that is not considered unnecessary Shabbos work because you're helping a, cre- a creature uh, that needs help. This is Yerushalayim's interpretation. But the Magen Avram, the source that I just quoted, very, very important uh, 17th century halachic work, seems to have a specific focus on dogs. There's something unique about dogs, and this is attributed to them not barking once again when we left Egypt, which you know needs an explanation, which we'll try to offer, as a reason why we are particularly sensitive to dogs. Meaning man's best friend. Exactly. And that's a concept that carries over possibly to even the Torah. Yes. I mean, so this point that you just said, man's best friend, there's a marsha. In his commentary on Sanhedrin, uh, on page uh, 97, writes that the word kelev in Hebrew is a contraction of two words. Kol-lev. Exactly. So excited about this idea. That a so dog's heart is completely devoted to its master. So it's, it's a kelev is kol, because people that are named Caleb want to know why are they named Caleb after Caleb, Kalev in, in the Torah when he's named after a dog, and the answer is he's not. It's Kolev. Their whole emotional world is de- is developed and sensitive to serving this this higher purpose. Right. And and it has like dogs have this, you know, natural appreciation. Whereas you know you can be very nice to a cat, it won't reciprocate necessarily. Dogs are capable of reciprocating, and they appreciate the love given to them and the care given to them, and they are then loyal to their masters or to their parents. Right. Wanted to use the right. modern vernacular. What was what, uh, Caleb in the Torah? What, 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 why was he named that? What was his? So I don't know precisely, but we do find Kalev as being a person demonstrating a specific loyalty to God. So that might be taking right. that name to a higher place right. and not getting caught up with the you know with the spies' rebellion um, and and their desire not to enter Israel and 
a Kalev is this person who is like, God told us it's going to be okay. I'm remaining loyal to him. Right. And, and human beings gave the animals their names in Hebrew. So Adam, Harishon, the first person, named all the animals. This is not the name that God called a dog. This is the name that Adam, a human being, called the God. Meaning Adam was sensitive to this. And th that dog must have been lapping it up and <laughs> you know, hanging it. He said, oh, this, this, this guy's all, all heart. Right. Interestingly enough, the son of Noah, Noah's son, who is the uh, ancestor of the Jewish people, is Shem, Sem, Semites. Um, his name is Shem, his name. He had the ability to name things properly. Because that's considered a sign of a true intellect when one can understand the essence of a creature and give it an appropriate name. Right. What was he naming that wasn't named yet? So I don't know if he was naming species, but he had that insight into things to identify their true thing, their true essence. He was a marketer, branding, a branding expert. Yeah, branding expert can do that. Right. Right. But that shows real insight into a product, into a market, and how to make that connection. 100%. That's, a, that's like an intelligence that really gets down to the real world. So moving along, the Torah in um, in Devarim, in chapter twenty three, uh, has a really difficult uh, mitzvah. The Torah says you're not allowed to take. Well, one of this is easy to understand. The second one is less easy to understand. You're not allowed to take a um, payment used to pay a prostitute to buy a sacrifice for the temple, which is pretty straightforward. You know, that's that's not you know money coming from a, from a great moral source. And you're also not allowed to take the money used to sell a dog to buy a sacrifice. Now, why not? It seems totally random. The, it's Esnan Zona is the first one. And Mechir Kelev, the, the you know, money used from selling, a, from selling a dog. And like, what does that mean? That is interesting. So then it sort of explains that dogs can be so attached to their masters that they may actually have the qualities of their masters. And that could be a negative thing. So if you buy a dog from a... <laughs> I'm just thinking it back back to Manhattan and walking around Central Park, which I do a lot. And you do see these dogs, and they're like, that looks just like that guy. <laughs> it's the same sweater, right. same mustache, same everything as this. Uh, <laughs> right. But it's a really interesting idea that, like, there's no, like, you have a horse, and it's a horse. You can train it. But dogs really, like, have embody. relationships they with do. people. They do. They embody the thing. And sometimes yeah. that could be, that, that, that could have a negative connotation. You ever see those real lazy dogs? Or you could have a vicious dog, you know. Wow. There, there's other meanings to this like, as like well, but this time, is every time I see a German Shepherd, I'm like the Nazi dog. That's all. That's all I think about. I've never. I don't know. I'm sure there are nice German Shepherds. There, there might be wonderful ones, but like, I but those look, ones weren't very nice. I look at it. I'm just like that Nazi dog. That's all I think about today. Okay. <laughs> I'll get some help. Yeah, I, I hope I'll, that one of the dogs you were growing up with wasn't a uh, German Shepherd. I'll get some help. They were not. They were all golden retrievers. So now we're mentioning some of the real positive aspects of dogs. Their loyalty that they can kind of take on their masters or their owners or their parents, I'm sorry, personalities. But there's also a, a an interesting indication, which we'll correct in a second, that seems to have a negative part of dogs. And that is their chutzpah, their brazenness. There's a, a song which is... Uh, you know, is recited during during the third meal at the end of at the end of Shabbos, uh, which is Aramaic. So I don't know how many people are familiar with the translation of it. This is based on the Zohar. It's called Askinu Sudasa, and there's a line in that Labar Natlin Vela Alahinin Vela Alain Hani Kalban Chatzifin. Outside, let them remain, never to arise. Those Kalban Chatzifin, those brazen dogs. There's like almost this kind of dismissive idea of people who are being described as brazen dogs, because dogs have this kind of sense of chutzpah. 
the the Gemara says that there are this is where it gets interesting. There are three um, Azan, three brazen creatures. Dogs. A goat. A goat. No. That, that's the name of the goat. The goat name is Uz. That's the name of it. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It doesn't say goat? It doesn't say goat. What is going on here? It's dogs. Okay. So, so far. Dogs will bark. They will act very assertive. Chickens. <laughs> roosters. They're very assertive birds. Right. Most right. birds are timid. Right. Roosters are like, you know. Oh, oh you see, know. Let me see if I can get the last one. Dogs, Jew. birds. Jews. <laughs> that's what it says. That's what it says. I love it. Jews have a certain sense of chutzpah. The chutzpah, 100%. Yeah. Now, you know, the Jewish people are compared to goats. Just saying. Yeah, that could be. But I don't know if goats are that brazen. Their name is the same word for brazen. Yeah, I, I, I do Isa agree with you. is the name and Oz is the quality of brazenness. You're right. Well, we'll Sarech Ian Gadol. Well, yeah, we'll have to write a letter to the authors of the Talmud. Sarech Ian Gadol. Why they didn't include goats. Who are fascinating and brilliant creatures, by the way. It, yes. How'd they get up on those poles? I don't know. And the all four like whatever. But I love stroking their beards when you go to the petting zoo. So we got we got dogs, chickens, I mean, I tar- That's uh, the roosters, roosters yeah. and Jews. But it but really, let's focus on the Jews and the dogs. Um let's 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 kind of use this as an introduction. The end of this uh song, this parakshir, which we mentioned in the beginning of our discussion, the Gemara says that there was a fellow by the name of Rabbi Yeshaya, who was a student of Rabbi Hanina Mendoza. This is one of the Mishnaic uh, era rabbis who um, was very disturbed why the dog is the last one to offer, mentioned in this parakshira, uh, which is the, the dog's the last animal mentioned um, as to its prayer to God, its song to God, which is about bowing to God. And quotes a verse in Yeshaya and Isaiah, which says, Ha-klavim nefesh. Klavim are these, have a brazen spirit. Um, so why is it that they're singing praise, like particularly the last one, very, not- very notable? And the answer to this that he was told is because, once again, getting back to this verse, which we have left hanging, that the verse says that the, the dogs didn't bark. Among the Jewish people, the dogs didn't bark. And, and once again, what does that mean? That like the dogs are brazen, but because they didn't bark, this shows their specialness. And this is why, once again, we have this like specific attachment that we have like a responsibility to feed them or care for them. Maybe it's because they were they're brazen. They went against their nature. Okay. They overcame their base instincts. Even the the animal was able to again whatever this means because God clearly put us sprinkled them with something, you know. But they they have a brazen nature, and then they pulled back from that, overcoming the brazenness for a higher purpose, a higher sensitivity. Maybe that's why. And it was being last. A praise like Achon Achon Chaviv here, like that, I, I think so. Now it's not clear from the reading of it because right. it ends off with dogs and then immediately goes on to this like postscript. It's like in the song "My Money, My Problems." Big comes in at the end, blows the song up, unbelievable. Like right, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Big P.O. comes comes out at the end, unbelievable. The song keeps rising up. You know, I could appreciate that. I'm wondering if the dogs coming at the end here are like coming in at the end to raise the song up to its highest point, possibly. I, yeah. Not, I, like I think that's not a, like they're left right. to last. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. So, Ruff Hutner... And they also have no info for the DEA. Just saying. No info... For the DEA. Yeah. There you go. Just letting you know. Dogs are quiet. <laughs> what does Ruff Hutner say? Ruff Hutner says uh, in, uh, in The Rishima Slave, this is one of his lesser-known books, that the, the dogs barking isn't just them making noise. They're also... 
I mean, this is obviously from our perspective. I don't know if this is going through their minds. They're demonstrating like almost like a right to be there. It's, a, it's an assertiveness that they're showing. And he says this from us makes it look like they're people. Dogs are like suggesting that we're humans. You know, you're, you ever walk by a property and like the dog is barking at you as you're walking along the sidewalk? Like, this is my house. This is my place. Yes. This is our perspective. Yes. You know, not necessarily what dogs are thinking. Right. It might be more of like a protective instinct, but they're acting almost like they belong. They're human. Right. Right. And this is, as we've mentioned, there's a lot of these indications uh, throughout these Jewish sources that dogs have a connection to humans, which is unlike that of other animals. And they almost sometimes act like they are people. They're being quiet at the plague of the firstborn, our footner says, is them recognizing once again, from our perspective, their their true place, and even a dog, who you know, from our perspective at least, is almost acting like taking on a role that he doesn't necessarily have a right to have. We can see that he knows his place. Sometimes, maybe you can see that in the loyalty of the dog, you know, in 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 the dog's like protective, you know, his protective attitude towards his owner. Especially when you see those little dogs that are going to get stomped. Right. They feel they feel one second. This is my owner. This is it's amazing to see like a little dog who was bred to be the tiny little whatever, but inside he's a roaring lion protecting his domain, protecting his kingdom, un, almost almost blissfully unaware that he's eight and a half pounds. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? That he could be punted, you know, it, it, over the goalpost. Yeah. He's that small. Yeah. Size of a football. Yeah. It's not, not that I'm suggesting anybody do that, of course. Right. Right. Of yes. course not. Yeah, of course not. We, we just went over. You can't necessarily harm animals. Don't do that. So this idea, like the Chassam Sofer says, that, that dogs represent this idea that even this brazenness, like really in, at its core has like this, it knows its place. It knows what it should be doing. It has this recognition of, of you know, vis-a-vis its owner of its, it's a responsibility. I'm not an, I'm not a, you know, I'm not going to just be a taker and like, oh, you know, my owner is taking great care of me. You know, I have this great property to run around in. So this is my house. Like I know I have to protect my owner. Like it, you, you notice that in dogs, and that for us is a lesson that is very powerful. That even if we sometimes like, so to speak, forget our way, we deep down do have this innate knowledge of what we should be doing. Well, it's beautiful. I mean, again, we have to be sensitive to that. Right. We're not saying the dogs idea. are necessarily mentally processing this, right? But that we can learn this lesson from the nature of dogs is a reason for us to literally support the dogs. And give them some of our food with this kind of like unique halacha that on Shabbos, like, although we'll ignore animals that don't need help, according to this opinion that I quoted in the Magen Avram, we have like this unique responsibility or relationship with dogs that we could give them food to eat. Interesting. It's very interesting. Now, now, a lot of people have dogs for pets. Is that different than having a dog who sort of is part of the household in terms of its job? You know, we don't have chicken coops and herds anymore, really. We're all, we're not really agrarian so much. Like, people have dogs as pets. Is it, is it, a, is it a praise? Is it something that people should aspire to or something to learn from? Or? So I, I think people can develop, you know, very healthy relationship, you know, kind of lessons from that, like your responsibility, caring, you know, reciprocating to an extent love, which can, can happen with a dog. But um, ultimately, I think what, you know, we really should be striving for is, is being parents. So, you know, to that extent, as you mentioned, you know, raising a dog could sometimes be, be helpful training for that. Yeah. But, um, you know, the effort you put into raising a child is far greater than that of having a dog. Right. But the rewards are also far greater. Right, right. Very interesting. I think we have to do find some more animals to talk about. <laughs> this is fascinating. All right, this is, I mean, I, I like it. So, <laughs> you know, we'll do it again. Mm-hmm.